Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. 105 in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer and Brendan Escott with you on Oilers Now. Brought to you by our title sponsor, Digitex. Hugh Porter, Digitex.ca, Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. You can reach us at any time on the River Cree Resort Casino hotline, River Cree Resort Casino, excitement, bet on it. And you can text us, 780-496-0063, that's our text number, the Ashley Fine Floors text line, get the new floors you've always wanted with Ashley Fine Floors, 143rd Street and 111th Avenue, open Monday to Saturday. We're on Twitter, at Oilers now, you can tweet me personally, Bob underscore Stoffer, and Brendan Escott is at Brendan with two E's, Escott with two T's. In this hour... We will hook up with uh, the Cult of Hockey's David Staples and continuing our ongoing series on coaching, uh, how an individual gets involved in coaching, some of the uh, coaching influencers along the way, and uh, and then the science versus the art of coaching as well. Guy Gadowski, the head coach of the Penn State Nittany Lions in the NCAA, played last year against Dylan Holloway and Wisconsin. We'll hook up with Guy. Uh, he'll be our Oilers now headliner today at 135 for Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Off to the River Cree Resort and Casino. We welcome back. He's been uh, off our show for the last month from the Cult of Hockey. He is also the Provincial Affairs Columnist for the Edmonton Journal. That is David Staples. Hi, David. How are you? I'm great, Bob. Good to be back. Good, Good. to be uh, talking to you. It, now, it, is this a new title for you, Provincial Affairs Columnist? Uh, it's. I've been doing the job for about a year and a half, so okay. that's been my... That's been my uh, bailiwick. I, I thought you the right were the co- bailiwick. I don't know. Well, if you don't know, I don't know who does. Given <laughs> that you're supposed to be a full-time writer, um, I thought you were the COVID nineteen. Uh, all right, but that has been so much it's, of the it's narrative. Been, of all- it's been provincial politics has dominated the uh, dominated the realm for the last since it started, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been well, all we've been talking about pretty much. Yeah, and uh, and it ties into hockey, as we know. I mean, the Oilers are. <laughs> It's interesting what's going on, David, because there's a lot of people out there that are questioning where is Jason Kenney, where is the province, why it, why are individual private organizations being forced to come up with COVID-19 protocols and strategies, why is there not a provincial mandate, and of course we just had a mask mandate reenacted here in Edmonton. Are you seeing that sort of stuff in your timeline on a daily basis on Twitter? It's it's absolutely constant. Um, you know, as for private organizations, I think they have a right to um, make the rules. It's their business, their customers, and uh, they have. You know, when they make the call, I you know, I, I I might not like it all the time what they do, and I'm sure lots of their customers. I know the Oilers. I'm sure they've got lots of irate customers yeah. who don't want to get vaccinated and are probably canceling their season tickets right now. It's probably a big problem for the Oilers, but I, I do think the Oilers and other private operators. Um, have that right, and I actually think it's the proper place to make that decision. Like I, I I'm leery of the government putting in vaccine passports. You know, I, I, they really hammer hard 
on some of the most marginalized people in society. You know, if you look at who's not getting vaccinated, it tends to be related to income. And um, I, so, but businesses, that's their call. It's their business, their customers, and they know their customers better than anybody else and their situation better than anybody else. And um, they're in that the right position to make the right call on this kind of thing. Let me ask you a question, David. So that's, you said private business. Where does it cross over to public? Like, should there be an impetus from, as an example, the Alberta Federation of Labor, the AFL? Should they be going to their union brethren and saying, we got to get everybody vaccinated? Like, private industry and private business are, I know the banking industry. I think you're going to see some things come down on that front, uh, and there will be an expectation. Could you envision that scenario? Has I don't even know. Has the, like, has have, has any of the, you know, we're hearing reports, as an example, out of Ontario, that uh, the police union is ex- expected to challenge uh, mandatory vaccination. And again, this ties back into sport in terms of who gets to go into buildings and yeah. those sort of things. Um, have you seen anything at all uh, sort of, you know, on, on the public sector side? Well, it'd be interesting if the Alberta Federation of Labor or the ATA said all the members have to be vaccinated. I, we haven't seen that yet, but and you'll have to fact check me on this because I have also been off a month and haven't been paying as close attention to the news as I usually do. But um, I do believe that the some of the medical professions right. have said, have strongly recommended or said all their members need to be vaccinated. And now we have AHS doing this. And I think uh, in this case, I, I think it's the right call. I mean, medical professionals are working with the most frail, uh, immunocompromised people in society on a regular basis. And if those people come into contact with COVID, there's there's dire circumstances. They can they can control their lives to some extent by staying home, but they have to go to the hospital now and then uh, when they're in a real fragile state. So I. I when you're balancing things, and this is always a really difficult balancing act for anyone making these decisions, I think it was the correct decision uh, in terms of AHS and medical people to make that call. Um, you'd have to think through it case by case for other public sector unions and other situations. Yeah, well, and uh, that would be a very intriguing conversation to have because there are some people that are involved with those organizations that have, uh, you know, basically endorsed and supported versions of lockdowns along the course and of course we all know that uh, a lot of those individuals get paid whether or not you know we're up and running or we're not up and running as opposed to individuals in the private sector where a lot of people have been absolutely uh, some of them have had their businesses destroyed during the course of this over the last 16 18 months so it's a it's a really interesting conversation it does tie i mean we have a scenario like david should there be a uh, we've got a, we've the players have a players association uh, we're going to have virtually in every nhl building you know, you have to have what what amounts to uh, ver- verification that you're either vaccinated uh, in the case of Edmonton or 48 hours before uh, have a negative test. Uh, should there? What, do you think there's going to be an expectation that the the players should follow suit as well with that? And I I think we know how seriously the players took it because how effectively the bubbles worked uh, specifically during the course of the 2020 uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. What we see with the players is players unions and other sports is you know they try to cut some slack to people who don't want to get vaccinated uh at, at
at the same time as encouraging members to get vaccinated. So we'll see what the NHL does. You know, there's talk of the, all the Olympic players having to be vaccinated. You know, I can imagine the players, they had a tough situation last year living within those bubbles and having such strict rules. I mean, they, they were stuck in their hotel rooms even when they were traveling, is, is my understanding. Had to wear masks all the time. For, for young people who are in, in incredible physical condition and are double vaccinated, that would have to stick in the craw, I think, of many hockey players having to live if, if the rules are similar this year as they were last year. And I don't know what, what, uh, what's going to be worked out there, but I can imagine that could be a problem uh, with some players wanting much more freedom in their lives because they're d- double vaccinated and then coming into conflict, conflict with uh, players who are unvaxxed and aren't going to be changing their minds on that. These are really difficult issues for the, the yeah. unions to solve. And <laughs> good, good luck to them. Well, I can tell you, I'm already seeing the text line, like the range of, of texters that we have. Shut up! You, I don't want to hear about this. And, and But it, it does tie into sport and it ties in. It could even tie into the construction of the roster, David. I'm serious about this. We may see a scenario where they have to have a small little taxi squad again, uh, especially for teams like Edmonton and Calgary that have got their American Hockey League affiliates in the minors, just because we're not sure how this is going to go. You could have an outbreak during the course of the season. Yeah, a team could be hit with, we've seen this with the CFL all right, already. I mean, this is a hockey issue. It's a CFL issue. They've had to cancel, postpone some games. Yeah. So um, this could hit the other. And interestingly, there hasn't been a lot of talk about this, Bob. I haven't been hearing a lot of talk from either the NHL or the NHLPA about how they're going to handle all of this. Uh, so they're, they're probably doing the smart thing and quietly trying to work through very sticky issues quietly and get a broad consensus that both the, the league and the union can can live with because in the in the end they both have an incredible interest in having all of these games go forward and in maximizing revenue so that's what i suspect is happening behind the scenes you know david as somebody who was in the building last year you just it's not even the same like it's just such a different experience and i have a feeling you know watching uh the you know the premier league over the course of the last couple weeks uh, on DAZN. Uh, I'm going to watch, I'm going to, you know, Saturday I'm meeting some buddies to watch uh, Bama and, and, and Miami and it's the, the kickoff classic and then later that night Clemson and Georgia play and those crowds are going to be nuts. They're going to be bonkers because people have been, and I'm kind of expecting that you know, at Rogers Place, like I think people are going to be lit up and wired and ready to go because we've gone through such a difficult time and people are frustrated and angry and I think they're just looking, they're going to be stoked to be back in the building again. You know what I mean? We have missed this like like you can't believe. You know, we've missed we've missed all kinds of things related to sports. We've missed, you know, playing on teams, uh, coaching teams, youth teams. We've missed all of that in a, in a, in a big way. The, the, the big outstanding question, I guess, and I don't know if this has been answered yet, is whether fans attending Oilers games will have to wear face masks or not. If everybody's vaccinated there, again, I, I see absolutely zero reason um, why face masks, why people who have been double vaccinated need to wear face masks. Um, they're effectively protected against uh, uh, COVID. Um, they've taken every reasonable precaution. We've got to get on with life, and part of that is going to these games and having some fun, and we need that. You know, it's for our, for our health, mental health uh, as much as anything. People need these kind of releases, and it's been really hard on people to have a 
event after events, and some much more important than a hockey game stripped away from them in the last year. All right, that's uh, th- let's get more specific to sort of the cult of hockey stuff, and but it is an ongoing storyline, just in terms of the you know the building being back for a preseason game on the twenty eighth, and how that's all going to get handled. It's going to be interesting to watch. The Oilers are private, uh, you know, and I work for the Oilers Entertainment Group, and we know what we have to do, and that you know that was done a while ago. But I also travel, so it sort of came with the territory. Uh, you make the choice you make uh, out there, but it is what it is. Try not to pontificate, but I, I think we're headed down a certain direction. So, David, you're, you're, the cult of hockey right now is working on a uh, uh, sort of prospect rankings, okay? I, just, I have to say this. Uh, I saw the sports forecasters and saw they had Holloway like the fourth or fifth best prospect with the Oilers. Um, I saw a couple other prospect lists out there that had uh, Broberg currently ahead of Evan Bouchard. Um I'm going to tell you right now, for take it for what it's worth, but in my opinion, the Oilers' four top prospects, and I'll include Bouchard because he's not a full-time NHL player yet, though I totally expect that this year. I have Bouchard 1, uh, Broberg 2, Holloway 3, and Borgo 4. Those are my top four Oilers prospects. Uh, I know there's people that think that uh, Lavoie should be in the top four or maybe... Uh, Sam Arukov should be in the top four, but my top four, ironically, are all former first-round draft choices, and I do have Bouchard because I think he's got a higher offensive ceiling than Broberg. How's your list gone so far between the work that you, Kurt, and uh, Bruce have done uh, on your prospects? Well, we we all three, and Jim Matheson also votes from the journal, and uh, then we kind of come up with our ranking based on those. I, I don't have much complaint, Bob, with how you rank them. I would put Evan Bouchard at the top of the list as well. He, I mean, his passing ability, the way he reads the game, if he can play solid defense, this is a top four D-man in the NHL for a decade, and maybe... Um, top pairing guy for a decade his 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 offensive potential and it's already been realized we've already seen it and i think one of the you know frankly a misjudgment from last year is not playing evan bouchard i think he would have helped the team um it better done better in the playoffs with his attacking ability i agree could have used that so yeah number one uh i would have it's kind of a toss-up between uh, Philip Broberg or Broberry, as they call him in Sweden, and and Holloway uh, for the number two spot. They're they're both really similar players. They're big. They're they're super fast, and um, and they're skilled. Um, their their main attribute is their size and their uh, skating ability, and and uh, both are kind of off you know really high level in that regard. They both have you know how far will their their uh, reading of the game and their skill take them at the NHL level? It's it's that that's the question uh, whether they're going to be you know top pairing for Broberry or or top line for Holloway or further down the roster. But Bob, I watched them both last year uh, on in. Stat and they they are both incredible players. Holloway just ate up the competition at the collegiate level. Uh, his his skating and his hitting, his intensity was was outstanding. And I just you know, it's such a shame that we didn't get to see him uh, in Bakersfield at the end of last year because of that injury. Yeah. You know, we might have a much better sense of whether he would be making the team right now because I, um, you know, that's still a question mark because we didn't see him at the pro level. Um, I suspect both will start in uh, Bakersfield definitely uh, with Broberry, but. 
but with Holloway, um, he can make the Oilers. I, th- I think he, he uh, you know, if he's on the wing especially, where there's less defensive responsibility, uh, the reads are easier to make as a, as a defender, uh, he could easily make the team uh, out of training camp. All right. I had Bouchard one, Brober two, Holloway three, Borgo four. I tweeted this out July 25th. Uh, McLeod was fifth. This is my top 23 and under. So Bouchard, Broberg, Holloway, Borgo, McLeod, Samarukov, Lavoie, Skinner, Benson, and Konovalov. Uh, a lot of people thought I had Konovalov ranked too low. Uh, I've never know. seen the Like, I had him ranked 10th. Yeah. I've never seen him play, and I've never seen him play in North America. I want to see how he looks in North America. Um uh, I had Carter Savoy, I think, a little higher than you did. I think I had him higher than Konovalov based on his first year at the NCAA level. He can shoot. Yeah, he, you know he's so so he's shown on the in a in a top North American am, you know amateur league what his talent is, and uh, I also I also have at this point Samarukov higher than Borgo, and it's because of uh, Samarukov's play in the AHL in his first year as a pro wasn't great, but Samarukov achieved probably a higher level at in major junior than Borgo has yet to achieve. Borgo could still do that, but Samarukov was maybe the best defenseman in Canadian major junior hockey. Uh, by the end of his uh, major junior uh, career, he, he he ate it up in the playoffs and got his team to the Memorial Cup. And this year in the KHL, he, he, the big question about Dmitry Samarukov has always been his consistency. You know, will he make the right reads? Um, will he press too much? But he really settled down his game in the KHL. He was like a metronome. You know, win the puck, get the puck, pass the puck. And he didn't. He wasn't trying to do too much. And I think the owners are going to love what they see in this player if he continues that kind of steady level of play at training camp. Probably starts the year in Bakersfield, but I, I, I'm glad they didn't trade him this summer. His name um, came up a few times. I'm, you know, it, it, it might have made sense. You know, when you're looking for a really good player, to, you know, I could see other teams really wanting Samarukov glad the Oilers kept them. I could see in three years from now, the Oilers' left shot, uh, left side of their defense being Nurse, uh, who I always believed in, and you know that because of the work ethic. Uh, Nurse, Broberg, and Sam Rukov, and that'd be a big left side of the D, and then a six-foot-two guy on the right side, and Bouchard, and they got a bunch of other prospect defensemen there, including the likes of Kemp and Kesseling, uh, Kemp 6'3", Kesseling 6'6", so they got some size coming on defense as well. Is Tyler Benson the forgotten man? What's the sentiment you get out there on the cult of hockey in terms of the response from the listeners, uh, or sorry, from the readers, David, on, uh, you know, can Benson, you know, can he make this team this year? There's a real question mark, and I think it's a fair one around his his skating. We all Oiler fans saw him in a seven game stint a, a couple of years ago, and he, I thought he looked okay. But um, last year in Bakersfield, he looked he looked really good. He's got elite level passing skill, NHL level passing skill, and um, that's that's really what he brings. So if you paired him with a couple of shooters, like uh, you know on Leon Drysaddle's line, setting up Leon Drysaddle. Um, I don't think Kyler Benson would have done much worse last year if he had been with the Oilers than Dominic Cahoon. Now, that's not necessarily saying a lot because Cahoon wasn't great. He was just okay. But Benson, he was really strong at the AHL level, uh, one of the top scorers in the, at the AHL. And he, he, I think he was stymied by COVID. He, his career was halted. I think he would have got a cup of coffee at Edmonton last winter if not for the COVID rules. They would have given him a chance. But it was just too hard to bring up players, uh, bring them up and down. So, 
if he comes into camp in amazing shape and his skating looks, you know, like it's never looked like before, he's in the running for that, you know, that fourth job on the left side. You know, there's other, lots of other players. There's Devin Shore, there's Holloway, there's him, there's uh, Brendan Perlini. They're all fighting for that one spot and maybe one other spot. And um, I, I just hope that he gets a chance to show in Edmonton what he can do for four, five, six, seven games before the Oilers move on from him. Uh, they've invested a lot of time in him. He's got some NHL attributes. Can he do it at the NHL level? I'd like to see him get that shot. Uh, and then if he doesn't, they'll, they'll know more and can move on or they can keep him. Uh, hey, a uh, couple more for you. What, what, what's the uh, what's the biggest sort of story out there? The biggest concern. I mean, uh, I think the general sentiment is the Oilers have got a, a deeper and better team this year, certainly up front than they've had in the past several years. I know there's some people that don't think the defense is going to be as good. I think it'll be fine. I think they'll be able to move the puck pretty well. Uh, you know, can Mike Smith? replicate last year i think that's a fair question but what when again back to cult of hockey what sort of things do you see well this summer my own like my own biggest reaction this summer my own biggest disappointment was when adam larson left so i'm thinking the biggest question you know goldie's such a big question but other than that can they can they get someone to play shut down defense like like larson did are they, are we going to be facing this situation again like we did in previous years where the orders were getting cycled to death in their own zone and there's no cycle buster to take out um that that four check like larson did so the, so for me, you know, the questions are that right side of the defense without Larson, with uh, Cody Cece, how is he going to look? Is he going to look like, you know, something close to Adam Larson, or is he going to look more like Mark Fain and not even close to getting the job done? You know, is he going to be too vanilla to, get to you know, play that shutdown D role? You know, we know what we're going to get from Tyson Berry. We don't know what we're going to get from Evan Bouchard. Is he going to come well, up like a, coach, like a rocket? The coach seems pretty optimistic on Evan Bouchard. I think the, the head coach does. That's That bodes well to me. And I, 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 I like it, yeah. I like it too. David, how do people follow you? Uh, for the cult of hockey stuff, at D Staples on Twitter. David, I want to read you a t- uh, text that comes in on the Ashley Fine Floors text line from Chris. I couldn't agree more with David's thought on how we need this uh, normalcy again. Uh, I feel this way 100%. I can't wait to hopefully get to go to Roger's place without a mask. It would be awfully disappointed if they elect to go with masks. Hopefully it's a choice since we're all going to be double vaxxed. Just my thoughts. Maybe I'm out to lunch, says Chris. Well, again, uh, Reed Wilkins tweeting out yesterday, David, that uh, private businesses, if they've got their own set of rules for the buildings or their businesses, can appeal for uh, you know a, a slight different interpretation on the mandatory masking at Edmonton. So we'll continue to monitor that. Excellent. I hope the wave is over, but I hope this latest wave is over soon, and and, and it may be. We'll see. And another texter says, I'll never attend Rogers Place as long as they support medical tyranny. There you go. Yeah, yeah, people feel strongly. Yes, they do. Great stuff, David. Thanks for your time. Bob. 128 in Edmonton. That runs us into the break. We will tell you this all season long. The Oilers Now Injury Report is brought to you by our friends at James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. Jim Brown, Trent Brown, the gang at James H. Brown. They're the heavy hitters in injury law. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. We will hook up with Penn State hockey coach Guy Godowski today as we continue our coaching series at 1.33. Off to a global news weather traffic update, Kevin Robertson.
Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms. <laughs>